This is the Rings of Power podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about the Rings of Power, Episode 8, Alloyed. Hi, King! Wait! I am sorry. Grant oh. me three months. I am owed that much. You are owed nothing. Then do it not out of recompense. Do it because I asked you. It is a fool's hope, Elrond. Merely that, nothing more. Hope is never mere. Not even when it is meager. Or have you forgotten your own counsel? Welcome back, fellow ringers, to our podcast circle. This is the Rings of Power podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we are discussing episode eight of the Rings of Power, Alloyed. I am one of your hosts, John. I am your other host, Derek. Welcome back. Yeah, the finale of uh, the Rings of Power. Yes. Season one. Season one. Yeah. Yeah, I know there's uh, talk that there's five full seasons confirmed for the show, and they're currently filming season two in the UK now, as they've moved production from uh, from New Zealand to the UK. So uh, expecting that it'll be a little while before we get to see the show, given how much is involved in post-production after they do the filming. So uh, expecting there's going to be a while before we talk about the Rings of Power again. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Maybe 2024 at some mm, point. Yeah, yeah. I know that the, the uh, head of Amazon has said that uh, she wants the show to come out on Prime Video as soon as possible. So doesn't want wants a short break between yeah. each season, but uh, it may be a little more than a year uh, given the size of it. But I was just thinking this morning after uh, after rewatching this uh, this episode for the third time, um, yeah. it's interesting that how epic it is that we've like watched every episode two to three times. And never once skipped the opening titles for the show. That beautiful Howard Shore theme tune for the show and the music throughout has been fantastic. Like really, really yeah, epic. Absolutely superb. Um, so it's something that I'm going to miss uh, tuning into every week for that beautiful score alone. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Really and of course, some, uh, you know, in terms of the actual episode, some notable absences um, in terms of we don't see anything around a sealed door mm -hmm. after the. Uh, him being trapped, presumed dead, yeah. uh, after the eruption from Mount Doom. Yeah. And nothing of the Southlanders. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as they make their way to what will be Gondor. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're, they do seem to be missing. It is kind of a big moment when they say where they're going to set up uh, their new town, effectively. So, um, so that's their big moment put up as an ep episode seven. Uh, really good stuff. I uh, just want to give a shout out though to our theme tune for uh, our Rings of Power podcast from Scott Holmes, who we've used a couple of times for theme tunes. I yes. absolutely love our theme for this show. It's hope, really good. I hope our fellow ringers have enjoyed it too. Um, so just just a quick shout out Scott Holmes go check out his music it's got some really really good stuff uh, and that one there is Humanity is the is the tune that we've used for uh, for our uh, Rings of Power podcast yes uh, he does really good kind of epic feeling tunes for he sure does. he does uh, but let us get into this finale episode mm -hmm. with our spoiler filled discussion uh, just a quick reminder fellow ringers 
If you're not already subscribed, please head on over to tvpodcastindustries.com so that you can subscribe to any good or evil podcast catcher of your choice. You can also search any podcast catcher that you use for TV podcast industries. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's been great getting your feedback in on each and every episode of this first season of The Rings of Power. Uh, If you have any thoughts uh, on this final episode or indeed any of the other shows that we cover, you can send your email to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Absolutely. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, We're not going to be doing a wrap-up show for The the Rings of Power, uh, but we did leave it a little bit longer. Longer, uh, to record our finale podcast just to give a little bit of time for those uh, bits and pieces of feedback which uh, have come in over the last couple of days some great feedback has come in as well and thanks so much for joining us for the rings of power podcast yes uh, derek what are some of the episode details here well, the season, of course, is based on the Lord of the Rings and the Appendices by Professor J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, really? It is, of course. Excellent stuff. <laughs> and the showrunners and executive producers for the show are J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay. This episode, once again, written by Jennifer Hudson, along with uh, showrunners J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay. Always a good sign, as we say, mm-hmm. on TV podcast industries. Yeah. The showrunners are involved in the writing of the final episode. Exactly, exactly. And, and they provided the direction for how this show would take its story from those appendices of of J.R. Tolkien as well. And this episode, once again, directed by Wayne Sheehip, uh, who's directed a number of episodes throughout this season. Good stuff. Yeah, he's certainly getting his paycheck. He is, he is, and has done a, an amazing job. Yeah, it really absolutely. has felt so cinematic uh, overall throughout the season. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for The Rings of Power, Episode 8, Alloyed? Sure. In the East, the White Witches, known as the Servants of Sauron, catch up with the Stranger, proclaiming him Lord Sauron and pledging their service to him so that he may lift the veil of his enemies so he may know himself once again and rule over the lands of Middle-earth. Nori and the Harfoots also manage to catch up with the stranger who has been bound by the servants of Sauron to keep him from using his powers, which he still has little control over. They manage to free him and help him realise who he really is. He is not Sauron, but one of the Astari, or wizards. They managed to fend off the servants of Sauron, stealing the leader's staff, which the stranger then uses to banish the trio back to the shadow. Meanwhile, Galadriel and an injured Halbrand arrive in Aragon, much to the surprise of Elrond. The elvish medicine soon has Halbrand on his feet, and he seeks out Celebrimbor, the great forger, And in their discussions, Halbrand suggests a way of forging the mithril with other metals to enhance its strength. But as Celebrimbor explains what he must do to save the elves from their diminishing light, his choice of words makes Gladriel suspicious of Halbrand's keen interest in the work at the Great Forge. She checks into the royal lineages of the Southlands. As the work progresses in the forge, Galadriel confronts Halbrand with her discovery that he is not from the lineage of the Southland Kings, which was broken many years ago. Halbrand reveals himself to be Sauron and infiltrates her mind to persuade her to become his queen and rule Middle-earth with him as king, but she refuses. Sauron overpowers Galadriel and flees from Eragon, keeping... What she knows from Elrond and Celebrimbor, she instructs Celebrimbor to forge three rings instead of two, so that it brings balance to its holders. Elendil and Miriel arrive back to Numenor to find King Tar Palantir has died. While back amongst the Harfoots, the Stranger and Nori decided to part the group and travel east 
into Rune to find the Hermit's Hat constellation. Unsure which way to go, the stranger chooses a direction based on the sweet smell in the air, advising that when in doubt, to always follow your nose. As their adventure into the east begins, so the journey of Sauron from Aragorn finishes as he reaches the land of Mordor. So we finally know who Sauron is. I know. Ooh, they played with us all season. <laughs> they <didn't> did. They? <laughs> and even in this episode uh-huh. with that opening yeah. uh, around the stranger and the servants of Sauron. Yes. Yes, they need a catchier title, I think, the servants of Sauron. Although maybe no longer since they were kind of... Um, banished. Banished. Yeah, banished back to the shadows. Let's talk about that. Yes, for sure. Let us discuss the tales of Middle-earth mm. with our tale number one, the... The Servants of Sauron and A Case of Mistaken Identity. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, a bit of a weird title for that one. Um, but it's just so much going on here with uh, the stranger finally learning, um, not really learning exactly who he is, but finally, finally learning that he's not Sauron, I suppose, is, is the important part of this, right? Yes. Well, possibly thinking he is Sauron. Mm-hmm. And then in a really great kind of half-foot way being almost given agency i love this from nori actually where she says only you know who you are Mm -hmm. and it also chimes with whatever the servants of sauron seem to show him or open to his mind and which he knew he wasn't in a sense yeah so i i kind of really enjoyed this i mean firstly i enjoyed just the fact that he could be sauron i mean Mm -hmm. we were talking last week in, in the podcast you know, the the notion that Adar had said he had split Sauron in two. Yes. And maybe that there were, you know, two halves that needed to come together. Yeah. And that this was ultimately one half. So actually, this to me was really plausible mm-hmm. at the start that he could be. Yeah. Um, so I, I really enjoyed this. Uh, again, it was, in a sense, twisty-turny here mm-hmm. from the writers, sort of thinking this was Sauron and putting it up front. Yeah. But ultimately, um, it coming to a conclusion, which I think it, it, you know, was also in the offing here, yeah. as he is one of the Astari or a wise one in the the tongue of the Harfoots. Yes, also wizard. A wizard, yes, exactly. We yeah. have wizards. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Uh, really good. I, I have to say, these scenes with the uh, with the three, the uh, the ascetic, the nomad, and the dweller. Um, I really liked each of them getting their own part in this. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's like this troop of uh, of witches, effectively, all three of them, but all three of them have a purpose, effectively. You've got the ascetic, who's the voice, who's telling uh, all of these stories to the stranger, saying that he's Sauron, but kind of joined in that a little bit by the nomad, who is also the soldier. Uh, she's the the armed part of this group. She's the one that's that's throwing all the daggers around, effectively, those cool uh, crescent-shaped daggers, looking yes. a little like Moon Knight, <laughs> but, uh, but very cool uh, and then we have the the really violent powerful mage almost of the group with uh, the dweller this is the one that is able to shapeshift into looking like nori to begin with which i thought was a really good horrific scene when we have the stranger following who he thinks is nori and yeah. then, then nori just stops the eyes change and then there's just this great twist it looks like almost in camera twist which it can't possibly be but that twist turning into the nomad this um this really creepy looking blonde uh creature almost um who seems to just always err on the side of violence you know we would see uh, later on where she's 
takes out her fire to burn down the entire forest to kill all of the half-foots. Uh, yeah. The half-foots. Uh, <laughs> I, loved, I loved that use of the eye here, you know, twice. One with Nori and mm-hmm. when they think that the half-foots are, are unbinding and freeing the stranger mm-hmm. again, it's the dweller again and it's just the change of the eyes. Uh, just really good uh, effect. Uh, I just... I just really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, I, I, in fact, the the CGI in this was really good. I mean, I loved the whole the sort of blowing the fire at mm. the Harfoots as they they're trying to distract her. Yeah, and just that fire then being extinguished mm. by the stranger, and then his banishment of them yeah. using her staff. Yeah, uh, back to the shadows, uh, and you you get that moth that you see with Gandalf mm-hmm. as well form on the face of, of one of them as uh, they all break up into the into the moths yeah it was really cool yeah, it was really good but even the battle between um the dweller and uh and the stranger we'll still keep calling him that um, even that battle between the two of them which felt like that Saruman versus Gandalf battle or torture even yes. that Saruman was doing to Gandalf where it's picking him up and throwing him against rocks um, to make him see that he's Sauron. Um, I just loved how that was done. This this idea, again, the Dweller is supposed to be a servant of Sauron, but perfectly willing to, to pick up this uh, this character, this the, the stranger, and bang him off rocks well, until he it. believes it, they're, they're right. He's <laughs> happy to do the tough love yeah. um, in order to make sure that he finds his direction mm-hmm. and takes on his mantle yeah, yeah for yeah. sure uh, no i really like that i mean i was even just wondering with some of them i think it was the one with the crescent shaped mm-hmm. uh daggers the nomad yeah the nomad it just the shape of the helmet elongating the face i, I mm. it just immediately smacked of the voice of sauron oh, from gosh. um the return of the king mm. to some extent and i wondered if they became you know the advisors around Sauron or close aides, you mm-hmm. know, at a future date, if he yeah. brings them back from the shadow. Well, that's um, it. That's so it, I, that was kind of, it was just trying to see who, who they were or could yeah. possibly become, you yes. know, now that we know as well who Sauron is. But mm. I thought all of this was really good. I mean, Sadok, unfortunately, oh, yeah. um, gets caught with one of those, um, crescent shaped, uh, daggers. Mm-hmm. I actually thought he was killed outright, uh, so it was really good that he was able to at least before he 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 died and um, was able to get the the nomad in the foot with one of her own uh, yeah. daggers. So you know, there's that sad element here yeah. as well because I, I just thought that was really nice where they all grouped together just to wait for the rising sun. Um, you know, as Sadok uh, passes away, yeah, um, just closing his eyes for the final time. It, yeah. It's really sad. Like I've really enjoyed Lenny Henry in this. I haven't seen him in very many uh, dramas before. He's done a few, uh, done yeah. a lot of stage uh, work as well. But he's very well known to British audiences as a comedian um, over the years and leads comic relief over here. He's very, very big um, and well known comedy personality. But seeing him in this show, I think he's he provided that great gravitas for the group as their leader. Uh, had some comedy moments, of course, as you always do with the Harfoots. But it's a really sad moment when you see him go. And they, I think they played even the scene where he got pierced by that uh, that crescent knife. Um, they played that really well. It was very sad when when it, it came out of nowhere and just took him down as he was trying to free what he thought was the stranger. Yeah, and, yeah. and Poppy got a close shave as well, Absolutely. being sort of pinned just by the top of her, her shirt mm-hmm. um, to, to a tree. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I mean, th- this was really, you know, it, it felt threatening from the, the servants of Sauron. Oh, yeah. That, you know, the Harfords felt in real danger. Mm-hmm. I, I, it, you know, it, but again, it, it's got that, the cleverness, the, you know, the underestimation of halflings effectively, yeah. that kind of notion. Um, yeah. and you're wondering if this is, you know, we don't know whether the stranger or the Astari here is actually Gandalf, even though he does use a very well-known phrase, um, of always follow your nose, he does. uh, which yeah. is used by Gandalf, um, in, in the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you say, the the moth coming up in the face, you know, yeah. the, the the power in his voice, even when he's sending them back to the shadows, feels very Gandalf-like. Um, but we have no confirmation that it is Gandalf. No, it's exactly. still possible to be another one of the Astari. Um, there are other ones in existence here. As we know, the show doesn't have um, access to the Silmarillion. Um, the story is that Gandalf didn't arrive in the first stage, that he arrived in the second age, but... We're going to see how the show plays it out. Uh, we'll probably know more in the second season. I'm still questioning whether there are back behind the scenes um, negotiations going on to get the rights to the Silmarillion so they can either call him Gandalf or another one of the Ishtari. Uh, I just wonder if they were holding back going, let's see how successful this is. Let's see if the estate like what we've done with the first season and maybe they'll take another... 100 million quid for the rights to yeah. it. <laughs> so well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, but we don't know. Um, how, how the episode ends with the, with Gandalf and the Harfoots, uh, as they pack up their bags and start to go on their new nomadic trip without any caravans anymore because they were all burnt by, uh, the dweller in the last episode. Um, as they're all setting off one way and, um, the stranger is going off another way and Nori goes with them. I really liked how that played out because that has been the story of the season that Nori's someone that is, completely separate from the rest of the group yeah. she's more of an adventurous very similar to bilbo or or frodo as we've seen in the in the, yeah, she, the Rings she, she doesn't want to be constrained by the migratory paths of mm-hmm. the harfoots yeah um you know the 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 annual cycles of the same thing yeah um year in year out yeah. she she's looking beyond those pathways that they travel and i, yeah. I really uh, I really liked this. I mean, it was a shame Poppy wasn't going with mm-hmm. her. I really was hoping Poppy uh, was going to go with her. But I absolutely loved their goodbyes to one another. Yeah. I think the two actors were just really great here. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know their age. I don't know whether they are um, sort of teenagers or whether they're adults at this stage and just, you know, playing younger. Yeah, they are, uh, yeah. But I just thought, it was really emotional. It felt really, really meaningful. This, this split of two really good friends. And um, even when Poppy says to Nori, you know, stay close to the big fella. He's good in a tight spot. Absolutely. And she's like, yeah, but not as good as my best friend. Yeah. Uh, it was just really, really uh, nicely done. Um, from these two actors. It was. Uh, I really loved it. It really was just a, just a lovely scene, and Poppy is just so cute. There's a real cuteness yeah. to her to her face with with Nori, and the, and you can see that Nori's a little bit more um, experienced and a little bit more um, adventurous, as we as yeah. we said. Um, 
I felt there was a little indication that Poppy might take over from Selick Burroughs as the uh, the one who's guiding the path for everybody because of that moment where Malva is uh, is reading the map upside down <laughs> yeah, and telling exactly. them, you know, it's all all clear from here, all downhill, no problems at all. And Poppy's kind of going, you need to turn the map upside down. It's going to be brambles and uphill for the next three months, basically. <laughs> um, and uh, Malva's kind of saying, well, if you're if you're so good at reading maps, why don't you be the one to guide us? And there's just this little look that comes across Poppy's face where she it looks as if that would be the perfect position for her yeah at the lead of this group leading them in that kind of of chant of uh nobody goes off trail and uh, nobody's left behind kind of uh kind of thing it feels like she has got a position uh ready for her. um yeah i i think as well uh the other two little touches around that were um you know when malva is giving that instruction mm. uh of the half that you know no one is left behind yeah. and no one is goes off trail mm-hmm. uh that you know there's just that little remembrance of Sadok that he could say that so much you know better it felt right coming from him she yeah. she felt sort of a, a bit awkward saying it and, yeah. and being in this position having lost Sadok mm-hmm. uh, but I love that they just touch his tone yeah like he's still there with them exactly. in his writings and and the book that he was looking after yeah i really like that and i just also really enjoyed just the goodbye between nori and uh, her father largo as Mm -hmm. well just the the whole sort of putting the foreheads together and so on and nori saying i always listen to what you said you know Uh, i thought that was really nice i I just thought this was really so well done this this goodbye as nori heads off with the astari and and on their journey you know absolutely yeah i have to say that hug between the family it was something just it was beautifully yeah done. it really was it really uh, gave me a little tear to my eye yeah. uh, as they bid farewell because you know how dangerous this place is now um the astari and uh and nori are heading off to rune which is quite near to mordor it's quite near to what's just happened in mordor so yeah. they're going to be going through quite a big adventure in quite a dangerous place so when nori's promising that she will definitely come back to poppy you're wondering whether there's going to be um some big difficulties before uh they get to return to each other but yeah uh, but, absolutely uh, and of course then there is the beginning of this journey uh into the east mm-hmm. to rune and by the way i pro- i should say adventure yes and um, not journey journey is just where you're on your own yeah. uh, an adventure is where there is two or more people yes uh, with you sharing in that journey so I I really enjoyed uh, this because we get the name of that constellation, the Hermit's Hat, mm-hmm. um, that is described by the Servants of Sauron, mm-hmm. uh, one of them having a big stone kind of tablet on her back that has the markings of this constellation mm-hmm. as well that the Astari is looking for, but seemingly a place where maybe it's, evil or has darkness and shadow mm. because it's where um the servants of Sauron say this is where you will command your powers yeah. and you will be able to fulfill your role to command all things and all people and mm. um, so it's interesting that the stranger is then going off in that direction yeah. to rune which is in the east yeah 
Heading just to... above Mordor, in fact, yes. and and to the right. <laughs> Heading to his rune, exactly. Uh, but I suppose there's kind of two ways to see it. They thought he was Sauron, so they were sending him off there to learn more about being Sauron and command his armies. But I suppose if he is an Ishtar, or one of the Ishtari sent to um, combat against Sauron, well, then he knows he's going off to face Sauron uh, in those lands. So, uh, so there's kind of two ways that it could be, it could be going there. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I mean... Since his arrival in the meteorite, mm-hmm. it is he's been looking for this constellation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one other tiny thing, just to mention, uh, which I really liked in this episode, um, the 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 servant Sauron do kind of mention that there was a, a veil put in the mind of uh, of this of, of the stranger when he arrived, and they've now lifted the veil. That's what they've done. So you see a much more confident. Um, character by the end of the episode uh he feels like he's able to form full sentences and have yes. full conversations and understand what's going on much more than he did before even though he still doesn't know exactly who he is um i just, just like that that's part of this visitation i guess from the uh from the three definitely yeah. uh let us move to tale number two mm-hmm. the elven rings of power well it is the name of the tv show so we were yes. expecting that it would have to have something to do with uh creating uh the rings of power i was hoping that it wasn't going to be in season five suddenly the rings of power are created but um but we have a have kind of the big story here of the creation of the three elven rings of power yes mm. yeah i mean this was this was really um tense i i really enjoyed um just seeing galadriel sort of move into suspicion around mm. halbrand on the basis of selen brimbrow repeating those words that galadriel heard from adar about um when he says it's the a power not of the flesh but over the flesh mm. you know immediately alarm bells for galadriel and um that, that, you know, you, we see Halbrand, we know he's a smithy, yeah. uh, taking real interest uh, with Callum Brimbor as being this, you know, this master yeah. of, of metalwork and forging. But he's such a flatterer as well. It's the way yeah. that he speaks to Callum Brimbor where he's saying, you know, oh, I could never be as good as you. My master's told me how amazing your work is. I'm, I'm you know, just a moderate smithy. And you can see it on uh, Callum Brimbor's face that he's really enjoying the praise that he's getting from Halbrand. Yeah. Um, again, this going back to the uh, creation of these rings, it's known that... Um, Sauron had a hand in the guidance of how they were created by the elves and then eventually creates the one ring to rule them all. That's the the central story. So uh, this idea of having Halbrand here, him getting so enmeshed in the creation with Celebrimbor um, by giving him some ideas as to how exactly. he can work with this very tiny amount of mithril. It's the trail um, of breadcrumbs, yes, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, that Celebrimbor sort of takes up, really, in terms of to use other ores in order to amplify these qualities mm-hmm. within uh, Mithril. Like, yeah. I, I really enjoyed the the bit where Halbrand takes up, the, as he describes, the strange ore. Mm-hmm. And you see Salem Brimble being a little bit nervous, and yeah. Halbrand doesn't give it back immediately. I mean, he does in the end, mm-hmm. um, but it just seems like drawn out. And I re- that felt real kind of like an anxiousness form. Uh, in that scene from Selen Brimbor, it was just really nicely done. Yeah, and um, that's the thing. I mean, this is it's such an epic show with the vistas and, and all of that, but mm-hmm. sort of so many small moments done absolutely fantastically yeah. uh, for me. Yeah. I mean, even when we have Galadriel 
asking, you know, one of the elves to, mm-hmm. to go into the archives to find out about the kings of, of the Southlands. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before she's received that, that parchment from them, um, you know, as she's giving the elf the instruction, you see Selen Brimbrel walking past and she, she kind of hides from him and then comes out and then Halbrand is there and yeah. we just have that that real uh moment between the two of them you know where um she says our scales are balanced and he's like no uh, I had given up you pushed me set me on uh set me to new heights and mm-hmm. um, I'll see to it that everyone knows of it that you yeah. Gave me new purpose effectively. So mm-hmm. I, it was just so nicely done because, in a sense, it was a compliment, but it was just delivered so darkly and with the frame of mind that Galadriel was in with this suspicion. Yeah. Uh, it was just really pitch perfect. It was. It was. And I've, I have complimented Bear McCreary for his work on the music uh, for the show. I do think this was a little bit heavy handed, <laughs> the darkness of the music underneath the words that he was saying, because there is no doubt that it's Sauron talking to Galadriel, telling her it's your fault that I'm here and I'm going to take over <laughs> the lands of the Middle-earth and I'm going to make sure everybody knows that. <laughs> it's, it, it was just the music underneath that felt really like, dun-dun-dun, here's the big bad moment uh, for <laughs> for the yeah. episode. Here's your big bad, in case you don't know yet. Um, but I, I liked, because we had the other story being interspersed with this, with the stranger and, and the servants of Sauron, and at this point in the story, first time watching it, you think oh, it's been revealed that he's Sauron. So you're taken away a little bit from the idea that it could be Halbrand as Sauron, I think. Yeah, um, so- and I mean, the suspicions could have been unfounded mm-hmm. as well. And for me, given the cleaved in two yes. talk from Adar, I was thinking, well, it could also be Halbrand. Yeah. Um, and the two of them that, have to meet and merge to become Sauron again or something. But he doesn't know yeah. it, you yeah. know? And yeah. he, in a sense, is a passenger that needs to be sort of forged with the stranger. Mm-hmm. So there, there was that whole element. Yeah. I think talking of forging as well, I just really, I loved the phrase uh, that Kellen Brimbrough says about that uh, Mithril is a, is proud. It mm-hmm. refuses our efforts to fuse it yes. as the, the, the forge kind of, um, the kiln, it, it blows up because the amount of pressure they're trying to to put on Mithril in order for it to fuse mm-hmm. um, and meld with the other ores. Yeah. Uh, but again, this leads to Halbrand adding more suggestion here is that it that there's been too much force yeah. and it needs to be drawn or coaxed together so, so they start down a different path. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was a really nice way of uh, describing um, the, the elves working with this new ore yeah. in Mithril. And also, again... This is the thing about personal theories, isn't it, mm-hmm. that you pick up when you, you're watching a show? Because I was like, going, oh, that's a nice metaphor for what needs to happen between the stranger and Halbrand yes, to an extent. Yes. <laughs> that idea that they could merge together and become uh, a Sauron. And, yeah, that's yeah. an interesting one. And yeah. just the title of the episode being mm-hmm. Alloys, you know, yeah. the mixing of different ores in order to improve and enhance the properties yeah, yeah. Of, of both 
uh, or's, uh, you know, that the sum of the whole is greater than the the sum of the individual constituents. Yes. You know, so yeah. I really kind of was buying into this big time. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And and one of the things I did, like you mentioned it a second ago, about about the way Galadriel is starting to get concerned about Celebrimbor. There's a really interesting moment when she poses that to him. Was it Halbrand that told you that? And uh, did he give you those words? Was he in the room? And it almost reminded me of Bilbo um, Baggins when he's um, approached about where he's left the ring, where he thinks yeah. he's lost it, and there's suddenly this kind of memory loss yes. of uh, Celebrimbor, as if as if something like Halbrand has put a veil over him to make him think that all of these thoughts are his, that he doesn't know he's been guided down this path by Halbrand, yeah. um, which I really liked. It's just how it was delivered by Celebrimbor, where he's going, well, no, I think it was me and the other um elvin smiths that and i'm the one i think said that not halbrand you yeah, know? yeah it's like as if sauron has been able to get into his mind and encourage him down the path he wants him to go which i thought was interesting um let's stick with the actual creation of the rings because it is actually galadriel uh who suggests this idea that we can't have one ring or two if you have uh one ring yeah. then it corrupts if you have two rings then there's going to be a battle between the two yeah, holders of those a divide between the two and then if you have three rings at least there'll be balance between the holders of those rings of power yes exactly so, um, that's quite an interesting one no it is i mean I, and it you know it there's there is absolute sense in that and mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of you always have i guess it's like um doing maths um you have a standard deviation you need at least three sample points there you go, i guess that's a bit of science um, you know in <laughs> order just to provide the the boundaries of that that mean mm. figure anyway i'll stop talking about maths um <laughs> but yeah i mean i i thought this was really nice the way she describes that i loved in this as well just given the reveal before this she's kind of a little nervous as well you get you know she's on edge because she doesn't tell elrond or um selen brimbor what has just happened it is about you know you just need to trust me mm-hmm. while she's very direct that if halbrand ever comes back you're not to treat with him yep. there's no context being provided Absolutely. i love the fact that elrond probably has suspicions as mm-hmm. he goes back to the place where galadriel confronts halbrand mm-hmm. And finds the record yeah. that she had asked for. Uh, so he's probably got his suspicions. I think there. he knows. And I think I, he yeah. knows because he, he he was told when Galadriel arrived that she was with the King of the Southlands, and this is the history of the Kings of the Southlands. It's quite clear that it stops yes, a thousand exactly. years ago. So uh, so there's uh, there's nothing of him. We'll, we will talk about that in a second. Um, but effectively, it feels like uh, Galadriel has guided them to kind of almost throw out what Sauron wanted them to do and create the three rings um almost like a new plan it's take the basis of what he said to you about how how to create them but he wanted to have one ring to begin with well a, a crown to begin with then two rings that's what that was his plan and she's now saying well actually if we have three rings then we've separated that power all three of them will be powerful and not one person will be the ruler and um, you won't have people battling between which one is the ruler if this if there's uh, just two so it's like as if galadriel has kind of gone without telling them don't follow Sauron, Sauron's exact plan. She's saying, we still need this. We still need this to allow the elves to to uh, continue living in Middle-earth. But here's a new plan that will allow us to 
accentuate and make it better what what he yeah, was suggesting. It, it buffers the elves from corruption and division mm-hmm. with having the three. Yes. And again, with the the three different types of stones as well that are inlaid into the yes. rings. Uh, again, that is the, this notion of balance, mm-hmm. you know, as well. Yes, it is. And that, that comes from the idea of, of Kellen Brimbor, that what he's trying to approximate is what happened on, in Valinor, the creation of the Selmarils, which were uh, representations of Valinor, things that drew the very essence of Valinor, as, as he says. And he wants to do the same for Middle-earth here. He wants to create something that is of the essence of Middle-earth. So the three stones that he's got there represent fire, water, and air, the three major elements in Middle-earth. That's yes. the, the concept that he has. So the obviously blue, white, and red, uh, that he has there, uh, which is cool. So the actual rings themselves, uh, Vilya, Narya, and Nenya are the three rings that he's created here, and the three of them are representing different elements, effectively. Yeah. They all have various owners over the years, but we know Galadriel was wearing one of them by the time yes. of, of Lord of the Rings, by the Third Age. She is wearing uh, one of those rings. So um, at the moment, I can't see why she would be given one of the three rings. No. Although, being that she's involved in the creation here, um, I can see maybe they give her one of the rings uh, in this story because this will be different from from the uh, the original creation of uh, the rings of power in uh, in the books in the in, and in the appendices. It will be slightly different than that, but it's entirely possible for the TV show you could justify her getting one of the rings exactly um so there is i know there's a little criticism uh, out there there's people that are that are pulling this stuff apart because it's not exactly the same as the books they are trying to tell a, a, a narrative from unfortunately not having availability of of the Samarinian. but i think the story that they've told throughout the season of the relationship between the dwarves and the elves the finding of mithril for the first time and the elves being the ones that created the rings which is all similar uh, to the story but i think the fact that the elves are creating the rings to save themselves makes sense why they would create these three rings first. Yes. Um, whereas I, my, my understanding is that the it's the other way around. They create the rings for the humans, for the men. They create the rings for the dwarves, and then they create their own three rings uncorrupted by Sauron's creation, and then he makes the one ring to rule them all. So I don't, I, I'm not too precious about that personally. I think it make the precious. right... Precious. Well, some people are. <laughs> some people sure. are, yes. Uh, but... I think this makes sense for yeah. the story they're trying to tell here. It, it does. It does for me as well. Mm. Um, to be honest, I, I, I just I can't think... see why 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 Celebrimbor would make rings for the kings of men at this stage, especially because they have hardly any treaty with the men right now. You'd I... have to uncover eight different kingdoms or ten different kingdoms of men. Then you'd have to uncover all eight kingdoms of dwarves in order to explain why you're doing it. So that feels like something you'd do the other way around over That's the course it. of the story. I mean, you know, at this moment in time, really the only uh, kingdom of men that we've had any sort of, that is powerful at least, mm. is Numenor. Yeah. Um, even the Southlands, you know, it's more a, a faded um kingdom yeah. um because yeah. of their defeat with no with, with, mm. with Morgoth yeah. at the time and allying the so yeah it it makes sense to me as well and i mean it you just know that there are these other rings to be forged uh, in time yeah. and and as you say it you can you can see that you know word gets out about these three rings yeah, that maybe. you ha- have uh, that the the dwarves hear about it mm. and are looking to have that same kind of power yeah. in their own way and for their own purposes yeah. and also then for for men. Yeah. Um, so okay. I really like yeah. that. I it, think the other thing I really liked on this was just 
uh, the use of Galadriel's brother's dagger for mm. get for the gold and the silver. Um, you know, this idea that creation requires sacrifice. So that was re- it felt really meaningful. Mm-hmm. This is the last bit of her brother yeah. that she's held on to for years. Yeah. Um, and she uses it for the creation of these three rings, mm-hmm. which will save the elves, yeah. even though it's that last physical um connection yeah. to her her brother and not only that she's been driven by it she's been driven by that connection to her brother for the entire time and this dagger has represented her mission uh, she gave away her sword uh last episode to theo um so this dagger is the last thing that she had left of the battling spirit effectively that she's that she's used to try and go yeah. after sauron for for this long we do have to talk about it now um, let's talk we really about do how brands reveal uh, and how it was done in the episode he um, is lord sauron he is. and he knows knows it that's the interesting yes absolutely he's fully aware of uh, of who he is although i do like how he plays with it and goes well i've had many names i've been here since the uh, since the beginning of of time effectively yeah um but i've had many that. names so if you want to call me sauron go ahead it's one of them yeah <laughs> I, I really uh yeah i really love that mm. line um i have been around since the first silence in that time i've had many names yes. really good i love the fact as well that you know, immediately without question, this, this driven nature of Galadriel in terms of that we saw in, you know, the first episode, trying to hunt down Sauron, who, you know, was the right hand man of Morgoth, mm. kills her brother and immediately tries to knife him in the neck. And yeah. I just loved the way, just how calmly the, the he, he stops her, yeah. um, in, in that moment, um, almost without any effort, but with inexhaustible supply of strength yes. to hold her hand mm-hmm. and stop the knife from going into his neck. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the perversion, I suppose, as you mentioned earlier on, the perversion of their story together, yeah. how he turns it all to be Galadriel's fault. It's, um, but we fought side by side. Yes, but we fought your enemies and also my enemies yes. side by side. Um, you know, that, that idea, you know, you saved me uh, on the raft. I would have drowned otherwise. And he was saying, you know, well, no, I was already giving up on my life. If I hadn't taken you on board, I would be dead. Um, so it's all that idea where he's trying to twist it all and turn it all into something where he's in the right. You know, we we talk about it often on, on, on our podcast about this idea that the villain doesn't think of themselves as a villain. The villain thinks of their of their story as being the hero because everybody's a hero in their own story. And he uses his his power of getting inside uh, Galadriel's mind for this really interesting trip um, yeah. through the past with her trying to show her actually he's trying to save Middle Earth. And if she just sides with him, then Middle Earth will be saved and then they can rule together. And she's kind of going, but that's the problem. You know, yeah, I, I exactly. don't want to, I don't want to become a ruler of Middle Earth. I want to help Middle Earth and save them without that moment of being in charge of everything. She poses that question, is it to save or to rule? And mm-hmm. Sauron says there is no difference. Yeah. And that answers the question for her and yeah. why she says that is why you'll never have me. Exactly. Um, I loved um, the, the the stuff on the boat um, where Halbrand seems to command the the sea, uh, oh, sort of yeah. turning it into a mill pond and mm-hmm. then whipping up a storm. But that moment where it's the mill pond and the camera pans around and you just get this reflection just and for that brief moment you have mm-hmm. Sauron there with Galadriel as he's trying to show, you know, 
as he says, I'm your friend. Um, she's like, no, a friend of Morgoth. Yeah. Um, but you kind of get the sense here, Morgoth's death released me from his grasp. There was this control from mm-hmm. Mor- Morgoth. It, it's kind of that idea a bit like with the orcs, you know, we, we've talked about this season with the orcs having some agency, certainly with Adar, mm-hmm. where he's like treating them like individuals, yeah. uh, you know, uh, his people that can make their own decisions, can live how they want to. Yet you transpose that to Lord of the Rings and they are effectively um they're just foot soldiers. Yeah. Um, there's only very few with agency, but it's still all command and control exactly. from, from Sauron. Yeah. And and here you get that sense that Morgoth had that over Sauron. Yeah. Uh, and when it links to what her brother says about Sauron's task was also to bring peace, uh, seeking uh, a power to heal Middle-earth and not to destroy it. And then it comes into um, this save or rule. And Sauron, again, as I said, has, sees no difference in that. So it, it, it's a real neat way, of, as you say, of of Sauron believing his task is justified mm-hmm. And is good in yeah. a sense. It's it, he doesn't see it as a perversion. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked when Halbrand here talks about Galadriel being this light, and uh, you know, it's almost the yin and yang element, mm-hmm. another form of balance. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? We have Galadriel talking about three rings will bring balance because two will divide. Mm-hmm. But here, on a on a dichotomy element that. that the balance of the darkness and the light. Yes. And um, he goes, you bind me to light and I bind you to power. Yes. Uh, so I really, really love just the, the whole sentiments of this sort of dream mm-hmm. uh, scape that, that came in. It really added depth to Sauron. Because, I mean, in Lord of the Rings, he is literally, he's the big bat. Yeah. And, and, you know, primarily off screen. Exactly. And th- there's just... You know, you get sense of his motivation from his enemies. I like Gandalf. You know, it's his will to dominate. And Mm -hmm. this is to to rule, to command, to own all these things and to take away agency. And so I think it will be really interesting with, you know, where we see Sauron slash Halbrand finally making it to Mordor yes. and knowing that Adar is there that has seemingly no love for Sauron there Absolutely. is him, um, yeah. and has different views on how you would treat the you know what you would consider in inverted commas the forces of darkness mm-hmm. in the orcs yeah absolutely and and we've heard specifically from Halband here from Sauron here that that is his enemy. Adar is his enemy. Um, he's, he's called Alex. You know, obviously he killed him. So, uh, so we understand uh, that he is uh, the enemy of Sauron, uh, even though he's the leader of the orcs and also an enemy of men. Um, so I really like that. I do also think that moment of him sharing what it would be like to have Sauron and Galadriel side by side as leaders obviously had a big impact on Galadriel because that's what she's almost referring to in Lord of the Rings when Frodo offers to give her the ring she's referring to well if I took it 
you would have a queen, but such a queen of such darkness and such power that I would rule the, would rule the entirety of Middle Earth. So she pushes it away. So this is her first refusal of the offer, effectively, yeah. to rule Middle Earth. Uh, so that obviously stays with her for a very long time. Uh, absolutely. Understandably. And I think as well, the, the, the final thing for me is just when Galadriel refuses his offer, mm. uh, I love the fact that, you know, true to form, I guess, uh, Sauron says... What do you think the elves will do when they realize you saved me? Mm-hmm. It almost like this threat. And that it just influenced how Galadriel was with Elrond and Selen Brimble mm-hmm. back at Aragon. And that I just thought it was a great line, you know, that connection of that threat. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I think he, he starts it with they effectively banished you for just asking for a few extra men to yeah. hunt me down and now you've saved me mm-hmm. uh, and it was just so good yeah. it felt really really powerful and I, I mean really meaningful as well because in those scenes with Elrond and Selen Brimble you get this sense from Galadriel um just that she is being very very careful with her words so as not to implicate her and i mean i think morfid clark Mm -hmm. uh just was so good here absolutely um really really good i think both of them are i think charlie vickers does a great job of this twist because you know we've liked the character of hal brown you know you're supposed to like him this lovable rogue uh from the beginning who's a bit down in his look you know a very hot looking guy from from the beginning that's the that's the point of the character and interestingly when when the character of hal brown was revealed the the showrunners were saying oh he's created specifically for the rings of power trying to kind of push you away from thinking he could be Sauron. But uh, I wonder, did he know when he came on board right at the beginning that he is going to become Sauron at the end? Or did he think he was being cast as the character of Halbron that it came to him over the course of getting the scripts yeah, in yeah. these uh, being revealed as, as Sauron? Um, because a lot of times when people uh, go out and, and audition for roles, the people who are auditioning them know exactly what they're doing with the character, but they, they may not know themselves as actors what exact role they're playing, but um, there have been little hints along the way as to as to who the character is. But if you don't know that story of Sauron, that idea that he's come back to Middle Earth to be punished, that he's here and doesn't want to go to Middle Earth itself, that he wants to stay um, in uh, Numenor. Yeah. Um, if you didn't know that story, then you may not know that. Uh, this is going to be Sauron. But of course, there are, uh, that, that has been the story of the season. Who is it? So uh, we have that big reveal in this episode. Yeah, it was absolutely. really, really well done. I loved that transition in the vision that he's that he's got inside uh, Gladriel's head with her brother. And it's this really kind conversation between the two of them. And then it transitions to this look at me shout as they go to the raft. I think that's there's a real powerful moment there uh, as, as we kind of have a reveal of how dark Sauron can go uh, with with her. I thought that was cool. Definitely. Uh, Lots to talk about in those those two first points. So our final point, our final tale is probably a bit smaller. Yes, it is Tar Palantir's passing. Mm. Um, Effectively, you know, we know he's unwell. um, And indeed, you have Chancellor Farazan Mm -hmm. uh, getting all the great draftsmen and apprentices, of which Elendil's daughter is one of them, Mm -hmm. in order to sketch him so that they may build, you know, a a monument to his life, to his greatness that uh, in in stone um, that surpasses anything that a living person could embody. You know, these great 
tall statues yeah. carved out of cliffs of the the Numenorean Stunning. kings. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, can you can you imagine how that must feel if you're an apprentice like uh, Arian is? You're basically being told that if you um, create the right vision of the king here, then we will create something out of that that will last for millennia. You will be, uh, you'll effectively, you'll have a stone statue out of a mountain uh, based on your drawings as a as a, an apprentice draftsman. Like that's yeah. that's it feels like such a big moment. You know that's why she's so focused and spending her time. They all get an hour with the king with Tarpalantir to uh, to make their drawings and get some ideas and inspiration uh, with him. And it turns really weird. <laughs> this idea that he's uh, he's kind of lo- losing his mind. We saw that before, um, but we understand why now. Um, he thinks that Arian is his daughter. He thinks she's the queen, the queen regent, and speaks to her in that way. Yeah. Um, and we find that the reason why he's done that is because he spent so long looking into this palantir that he holds, which tells the past, the future, and what could be. He's looked so long into that that he's lost his mind. He's lost his way. Everything is merging together. Yes, exactly. Mm. Uh, and we do see her go up into the secret room yes, and do. draw away the the cloth that is covering the palantir. Mm. And, and it, it's left at that. It cuts away before we see the Palantir. Really nice cut there in, in the edit from, from my side. It was, so we don't yeah. know what she's done. We're, I, I, we're guessing she has actually, uh, looked to see what, um, the Palantir is at least yeah. and probably interacted with it. And I wonder what, what has been revealed because, you know, from the King's side, from, from Tar Palantir's side, what he's saying is what's been revealed to him is if they don't go back to the old ways, the old ways being connecting back up with the elves again, not yeah. being separated from the world. If they don't do that, then the entirety of Numenor will fall. So that's what's been revealed to him. But maybe that's because he's the leader. I wonder if what Arian has seen is her brother. Has she seen Isildur is still alive? And that puts them back on the trip back to Middle-earth to try and find Isildur? Is it something like that? Because it would maybe a different vision for her that she sees in the Palantir. But it's interesting they didn't show us. Uh, yes. It's interesting that, yeah, yeah. that we don't see whether she sees the fall of uh, Numenor or whether she sees something more personal to her um, for, for her vision. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Uh, but the other big side of this is that as Elendil and Muriel come back into Numenor um, we see all the black flags mm-hmm. um, as the king has died I totally uh, got this wrong no me head. too I, I thought it was going to be on fire or yep. sort of destroyed that something had happened yeah uh, for sure and I, it was only watching it the second time and we hear um, Chancellor Farazon talking about um, the black flags once mm-hmm. the king is dead yeah. uh, to you know recognize to the ceremonial side of it that yes. then it, this made sense I just all thought, these yeah. black flags I just thought it was an invading army because the flags looked different I thought somebody had come in and attacked Numenor yeah. while their major army was away fighting this battle in Middle Earth because that happens quite often in these types of fantasy uh, shows or these types of medieval type shows where they've sent off their forces to do a war and because they're gone, an attack has happened. So it's like, oh, wow, what happened? Who's Who attacked? Yeah. Oh, actually, no, it's not. It's nothing like that. <laughs> I mean, this is all kind of um, the, the precursor of this is Elendil and Muriel's conversation, which I really, really enjoyed because it, it you know, Elendil seemed to be quite anti-Gladriel here, but he says, you know, um, about his name, which we had earlier in the season, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, mean, it does mean more than one who loves the stars. It is 
it also means elf friend. Uh, uh, elf friend. Yes. And I, you know, we hear that Elendil's actions in terms of rescuing Galadriel from the sea, mm-hmm. um, and everything he has done, um, has been based around this. And he goes, I didn't imagine it would lead to here yes. with the loss of his son, a sealed or, you know, the death of a number of soldiers, mm-hmm. this, this, um, incursion to protect the Southlanders. Um, and I, I, this notion, you know, just before they realize that the king is dead, is the cost that they are paying, is it worth the price? And that we need to make the price worth it. It is yeah. this idea of almost the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few mm. that he's, he's, um, sort of suggesting here yeah. that yes, everything has a cost, but is the price worth it yeah. in the end? And it's quite um, a big price that the queen has paid yes. uh, as well. Queen Regent is blind. Um, can, and now uh, lost her father. Yeah, exactly. So, um, quite, quite a significant price that she's paid for following, um, this lead from Galadriel and, uh, and yeah. Sauron effectively. Yes. Um, so that's, that's quite an interesting place that we leave the Numenorians, um, who were quite a powerful nation before, um, before they treated with the elves again, before, uh, Galadriel convinced them of the way to go. So, yeah. um, so yeah, we'll see how they, how they go next season, I guess. Yeah. I think that's it for all the major tales, uh, yes. of, of this episode. Anything, any notes, anything else that we want to, um, call out? Just a slightly funny note for me that I thought that I thought was interesting. Do you know when they were having the conversation with Gilgalad to try and convince him that they were going to create um, this one item of power that would sit atop his head? They were saying that they were going to create a crown. Yes. And uh, Kellen Brimbor explains that a crown being a circular um, item will be able to have uh, light coming from all angles and will get all the power in. I just thought it was quite funny that Gilgalad's crown that he's wearing at the time isn't a circle it's a it's broken it's effectively um like a tiara type look yeah, yeah but i just thought it was interesting that they were talking about a crown to a king wearing a crown who didn't have a circular crown on his head i just thought you know why not have his crown be circular but that might be his day-to-day crown <laughs> it might be you know? it might be yes yeah. his, his, uh, his crown of laurels isn't it it's kind of like yeah, the uh, exactly. like the greek crown i guess yeah. uh, but i just I, I don't know why it just made me laugh that they were they were telling him a real crown would be circular king, not the kind of one you're wearing. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think that was that was it for for notes for me. Yeah, I mean, I think the only note from my side is, you know, in a sense, we have Galadriel and Elrond making peace with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes, I think you know it's important just to to kind of flag that. Really, yeah, absolutely, best friends again, and I do love when they meet up. And they're both thinking, hang on a second, why are you here? Galadriel, you're not supposed to be even in this plane anymore. You're supposed to be gone. And then they go, we're going to need to talk. And then it cuts because you can't have all that exposition on screen, right? They're going to go off for three weeks and discuss what's happened. Exactly. So then, Derek, did you enjoy the final episode of Lord of the Rings? The Rings of Power, season one, episode eight, Alloys. I have absolutely loved my time back in Middle Earth. <laughs> I've absolutely loved it. I thought this was a great end to the show. I like the twists and turns, um, especially because they were feeding into some of the ideas we had earlier on in the season. I, I kind of 
really enjoyed that opening moment where you think, hang on a second, the stranger's Sauron and he's been hanging out with the lovely Harfoots for the last uh, last yeah. seven weeks, you know. Um, I thought there was a, some good little horror pieces in there at the start as well. That was really good. The actual reveal that Halbrand is Sauron makes total sense in the story. Um, but I love the agency it gives to Galadriel to uh, to help create these uh, these three rings of power. Yes. Um, so yes, I, I loved how this all formed into this great story at the end of the season. It's been been really enjoyable. I'm really looking forward to hearing other people that are jumping on board now and going to binge these eight episodes and what they think of the introduction to Middle-earth now that it's been complete. Really, really enjoyed it. I'm going to really miss uh, not having episodes of this uh, for for a while, for a year and a half possibly, maybe maybe a bit more, because um, it has been possibly one of the best shows that we've covered this year, I'd say, outside of The Sandman. Yeah. This is probably my favourite show that we've covered. Excellent stuff. How about yourself, John? What did you think of the final episode? Yeah, I absolutely love this. I'd give it five aesthetics, aesthetics out of five. Nice. Um, I just thought it was a really, really good conclusion to this mm-hmm. first season. And it kept you guessing with, you know, the stranger being set up as Lord Sauron by um, the servants of Sauron. Mm-hmm. I loved just the... The epicness of all of this, I mean, I, I thought the infiltration of Halbrand or Sauron into Galadriel's mind, I thought that was just exquisitely done. I think mm-hmm. it linked so well together. Uh, we got the formation of three of the rings of power mm-hmm. with the elven rings, um, and I just thought this was so, so good. Um, I, again, the intimate moments as well, though, it's interspersed amongst this, the action, as you say, the, the, the slight hints at horror, uh, with the, the servants of Sauron, um, really good, you know, um, as I say, in, in particular with Nori and Poppy and her, uh, father Largo, I loved, um, the, these small moments with Galadriel, um, I just, I actually just thought Murford Clark was so good here in that rising suspicion. Then the, the resoluteness when confronted with, um, with Sauron, uh, in her mind. Mm-hmm. And, and then that kind of, you know, nervousness of what she's done mm-hmm. and not letting on effectively given the threat from Halbrand um, about what the elves would do uh, if they realised that you saved me. Uh, This was all just superb. I I can't wait to see the next season of this and to spend the time in Middle-earth again. So um, absolutely uh, five aesthetic aesthetics out of five uh, for me. Absolutely, yeah. I have to say it well. We didn't really say it, but Eregion I thought was absolutely beautiful. The the uh, the forge they built there, I loved. There's a cut to the overview of it as the smoke is blowing, billowing out yeah. of the sides of the of the forge. I thought that was really cool. Um, they didn't spare any budget throughout the season, as we've said. It does feel like a part of that Middle Earth we've we've seen before in Peter Jackson's film. Definitely, like I think one. Of the other things that maybe don't think we mentioned was Halbrand on the boat where he's, you know, he talks that Galadriel said, you know, your past doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It, it's the future. And yeah. um, in a sense, it's almost like him being forgiven yes. for what he had done when bound to, to Morgoth. Yes. And so that was kind of an interesting moment as well on the raft in the mind of Galadriel and yeah. that conversation. Yeah, it was like as if Sauron had been forgiven for all his past 
which allows him this idea that he can now go and save Middle Earth in his version of trying yeah. to save Middle Earth. But yeah, even that final moment where we see him arriving in Mordor and it cuts from the rings of power into his eye where he's seeing Mount Doom for the first time and he's got that kind of evil looking smile on his face. But yeah. but I love that cut between between the rings of power beginning and him arriving in Mordor. I thought that was a great way to end the season. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Oh, I could talk about this episode and this show way more, but we do have lots of feedback to talk about. Uh, really looking forward to hearing your thoughts about the show. Yeah, absolutely. With that, let us get into our episode eight feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, we have a voicemail from Dr. Bob Phillips. The finale. Gosh, what an episode. I mean, surely the scary ghost elves had to be wrong. We, we, we couldn't have been letting the pretty little not hobbits take care of someone that was that evil. Could they? Could they? And then the confusion in me grew and I thought, I don't remember any of this. This is awful. Surely nobody that can command apples to grow like that can actually be evil. But then what about, what about the evil witch with a scary poison apple? And, and, and then fortunately at the end, nobody is nasty to my hobbitses and out emerges the wizard we knew he was all along. And the beauty of that storyline gets finished off as they wander off into the sunset. Nori and Ista standing by a tree. A D V E N Q R A N G. Yeah, it doesn't work quite so well. Anyway, that was a cracker. And and whilst our elven storyline should potentially have ended with the bangles of power because that would have led on to more singing, instead the three <laughs> rings of red, white and blue are, well, mm, is it actually a dig at the entirety of the British Empire? The fact that they created them to uh, peace on earth by ruling over it, but actually... It's really just not a good idea. I don't know, but maybe I'm reading too much into that. Anyway, the other bit of that storyline that I thought was particularly powerful was, yes, that is basically the only way you get librarians to do things for you is by making it into a secret quest. (laughs) Uh, Don't let any librarians I work with know that that's the case. Oh, oh. And one small medical point from the episode. If you throw somebody that hard into a rock, then please do activate the major head injury protocol. Don't just leave them there and hope that a hobbit and magic makes them better. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking us through this episode, for educating us, for all the other ringers that have added so much fun into this. I have delighted in this in a way that I didn't think I would. Anyway, on to the next series and more excellent TV podcast industries. Thanks all. Thank you, Dr. Bob. Yes, thank you, Dr. Bob. It's been great getting your voicemails throughout the season. We don't get them very often from Dr. Bob. I know, very busy, very busy guy. So uh, I'm really glad he's been able to send in uh, feedback throughout the season. Absolutely. Um, And yeah, I totally agree around the storyline of the Harfoots and that. It it was really, really 
so well done. Mm-hmm. Um, R.I.P. Sadok, of course. Absolutely. And I, I wonder if you making the making librarians feel they're on a quest is maybe due to a preponderance of D&Ders that might reside there maybe. or even facilitating other D&Ders yeah. in the library in in, <laughs> in those kind of book orientated games. Uh, absolutely, I love it. And certainly I know when uh, I w- would go into libraries as a kid, it was always a quest having to run through the card files mm. at the time <laughs> in order then to find the row, the shelf... And see if the book was actually there. Excellent, excellent. Good stuff. Support your local libraries. Uh, exactly. <laughs> thanks so much for your thoughts, Dr. Bob. Yeah, thanks again. Uh, we also got an email in from Coffee and Vodka. Greetings, fellow thrice-rung defenders. Well, that was something. I'm through guessing anything about anything when it comes to the appendices or this show. Who had Halbrand pegged, so to speak, as Sauron? Even after witnessing much of his acolyte's brutal worship, thinking the stranger to be him, our faithful Nori knew better. Mm -hmm. Watching the pair of them walk off together caused me old heart to fit, oh swelling. (laughs) And the final should sunrise of the Elder couldn't have been more sweet, sad and touching. Mm -hmm. If this show were just about Istari and Nori from this point forward, I'd be as happy as Schmeagol rolling around in a pile of one rings. (laughs) As for the rest, so much to build on and fill in over four or five more confirmed seasons. Any chance of some of that goodwill could be spurred to the Sandman? Mm. Just wondering. Five ill-fated Isildors, black-sailed harbours, and gullible Galadriels out of five. Peace and take care, coffee and vodka. Thank you so much, Coffee and Vodka. Uh, Certainly we know season two is on the way Mm. and has started production. Um, And I think the the showrunners have indicated this is a five-season arc. And given the reception of this show, Mm -hmm. uh, given some of the numbers that have been released, certainly a couple of weeks back now, um, I'm guessing that Prime Video will certainly uh, be stumping up uh, more to get this uh, back on their platform as soon as possible, let alone the fact that their head honcho is like mad for it, basically. Yeah, yeah he's a massive, massive fan. Yeah. Uh, I did love that quote before the series was released from uh, from Jeff Bezos' son, where he apparently told him, don't F it up, because uh, he's a massive fan. So, uh, so even the family uh, involvement, uh, they're pushing it to be... Uh, the best show it could possibly be. Uh, excellent stuff. Thanks, Coffee and Vodka. Uh, you're totally right. Those scenes as well with the uh, with the Harfoots were really touching. They they really created that heart of the show. Um, while everything yeah. else is going on, a kind of this upper level, uh, you really feel the family of uh, of the Harfoots uh, throughout. Thanks so much, Coffee and Vodka. We ha- also have an email in from Gail Cleary. She says, "Hi everyone. Well, it's with a bit of a heavy heart that I'm sending feedback on the last episode for possibly two years, but based on this first season, I think it will be well worth the wait. This adaptation." has been a wonderful exploration of Middle Earth. I keep reminding myself this is only the first season and all the artists involved are just in the process of finding their groove, learning to collaborate and growing their vision of Tolkien's world. I can't wait to see what things will look like by next season when they've really gelled as a team. Speaking of gelling, let's talk about how things are blended up to achieve the desired properties in the final episode and perhaps find some answers to the most important question. Who are you? First up, The Stranger. 
This is both the most delightful and potentially most problematic character to ponder. The Fire Sisters revealed that the stranger had a veil placed in his mind when he was cast down. Well, if he was cast down by celestial beings, that may well be true. However, it is also equally likely that he was sent down as Nori imagines, and that losing memory is simply part of the process of transitioning from one realm to the next. The stranger is placed in the immediate position of having to choose whether he is evil or good. For the moment, he listens to Nori, who tells him labels don't matter. The question is not really who you are, but what you do. Aristotle would be proud. <laughs> and luckily, the stranger also agrees and uses his staff to send the Fire Sisters back to the hell they came from. More problematically, they strongly tip the hat, or the nose as it were, that the stranger is Gandalf. It's too early for Gandalf. He doesn't appear until the Third Age. I was hoping beyond hope that the stranger was a blue wizard like Radagast or even Saruman, who started off good and was later corrupted. From the point of view of fans who only watch the movies, I can see why the showrunners would be tempted to make the stranger Gandalf. This would be a tectonic change though, not to say they won't do good things with it, and Gandalf is the best wizard in literature, but I have some reservations about this. On to Galadriel. Well, she is not our Galadriel yet, but thankfully, between dropping her rotten attitude and buying a clue, she is turning into a richer character that we we can start to feel invested in. She was also given a moment in which to choose who she will be. Will she alloy herself with evil <laughs> under the pretext that she can keep it good? Well, good-ish. Well, maybe not horrendously vile. Praise be that she rejects the literal devil's bargain. I've been awake since before the breaking of the first silence. Well, crap. That sentence gave me a bit of an existential crisis. Glad it gave her a full-on terror attack and she fought to what would have been her death had Elrond not pulled her from the river. The parallels between this choice and her later choice when offered that same amount of power by Frodo was so well conceived and constructed. Think of how great the impulse to seize that power must be if even she feared her ability to resist it a second time. It is such a giddy surprise each time the showrunners add depth to movies I've watched at least a dozen times. One could even say they were blending them as well. And Halbrand. I'm sure it came as a stunning disappointment to all the fans who thought Poppy was Sauron <laughs> that it is in fact our man Halbrand. I'd do a little victory lap, but it would feel unearned. I think the showrunners told us over and over again that he was Sauron since he was introduced. It was great fun having them toss all the red, red herrings at us. I hope they maintain this level of playfulness and engagement with the audience. And the rings. I have to say, after the mousetrap level of intensity that went into crafting these, I was a bit taken aback that the rings have the look of something a child could fish out of the bottom of a box of cereal. We had better prizes back in my day during the first stage. Gil-galad was obviously getting the red one, Galadriel is eventually getting the clear one, and Elrond is eventually getting the blue one. I wonder if they will be simply given by the start of next season, or if we will get to see what leads Gil-galad to bestow the rings. And finally, some stray thoughts about the episode. Now that we're mostly done finding out about why Gandalf loves hobbits, uh, Harfoots, I hope beyond hope that next season brings us much more solid wizards and Harfoot adventures, and much less Harfoot flip-flopping anyway. I could not help but notice that the main fire sister looked an awful lot like the witch king of Angmar when she was busy disintegrating. Did you notice that the Eye of Sauron appears in the molten metal for the rings just before the pour happens? Elrond is an orphan, Poppy's an orphan, they're both very loyal friends. Who else is excited to see Rune next season? It seems like Beric is still digging with his hooves trying to find a seal door. <laughs> Remember kids, don't accept unasked for gifts. Namarie, Gale. Gale, great thoughts as always. Yeah, thank you, Gail. Yes, um, I wonder if Beric is digging. I wonder if he's still riding uh, very quickly to try and find a seal door. Because mm. as I say, a notable absence here that 
um, he is still trapped under rubble, yeah. uh, I suspect, uh, as well as uh, not really seeing the Southlanders yeah. either. We, we didn't see our favourite elf again. Yep. Mm. Um, and yes, that look of banishing the uh, servants of Sauron uh, back to the shadow, mm. they certainly did have that look of the ringwraiths yeah. uh, as well. But given that they come from the the mortal kings mm-hmm. um i'm guessing it's not that but uh, that might it might be the same world that they inhabit or have come from mm-hmm. uh, as well yeah, yeah so yeah really good uh really good uh, spot there around that absolutely also love uh, as you mentioned the the moment where we saw that uh, eye of Sauron as the uh, as the rings were melting. I definitely uh, caught that too. Great stuff, and thanks so much again for your thoughts, Gail. Um, we also have some feedback over on Facebook. Uh, first up, Victor Von Doom says, with the real Sauron, please stand up. Loved the reveals and switches in this finale. Will Prince Durin take the ring and usurp his father? Interesting, yes. Yeah, Actually, true. another notable absence is is the dwarves yeah. uh, in, in this episode. Yeah, Elrond shut out of the dwarves, um, so we don't know exactly what's happening with them i i think what the way i would see it playing out possibly is they will learn of the rings of power of the three that have been created for the elves and ask for them to be created in exchange for the mithril um so that they can have powerful rings themselves i wonder i, I think that might be the way that it's going whether it's uh prince Durin taking a ring uh, or getting a ring so that he can overthrow his father uh, or whether it's uh, just a deal that's being struck between uh, the dwarves and uh, and the elves. Um, I think that's kind of set up this season that there is a relationship there um, so that they can build on that in the second season. Yeah. It'll be very interesting to see how they do it. Yeah, great stuff. Thanks, Victor. Uh, Dan Lee says, It's been a pleasure to see how passionate you guys have been about the series. Sadly, for the most part, I've felt the opposite. This finale, however, was absolutely wonderful, and I ate up every bit of it. It took eight episodes, but I finally feel invested and eagerly await season two. Excellent stuff. Thanks, Dan. Uh, that's great that the the final episode has maybe, you know, brought that context from the previous episodes, but also uh, got you uh, invested uh, for a season two. Yeah. Uh, I think... Um, you know, it, it is as well very much reintroducing people to um, this world of yeah. Middle Earth and to the the I say new races, but I mean you know things like the the Southlanders. Yeah. Um, th- there's a lot to sort of set up here, yeah. Um, so you know sometimes it can feel uh, very exposition heavy. Uh, and maybe you know it depends what you like from from your visuals doesn't it as well mm-hmm. um i quite like sweeping vistas and uh sort of powerful music as well yeah. um, but also the intimacy i think and Absolutely. that certainly came through in in, in this episode yeah. so uh yeah i'm glad there is um an an investment there dan and thank you yes uh, we, as we always say, we never like to knock shows on TV podcast industries, yeah. even if we don't ultimately enjoy them. And we have had a few of those, um, in it, well, with a film, uh, involving four superheroes, uh, people yeah. against a mechanical tyrant. Uh, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But also a, a couple of TV shows that never made it to TV podcast industries because we uh, realized we couldn't be passionate and interested in the, where the, where they were going with the story. So um, that's kind of the, the position we take. We, we start out uh, hoping that it's going to be as good as we want it to be. So uh, so we're not going to be um, negative about something a bit 
based on what we where we think the show is going when I look at it uh see that it's coming from the best place and that these people want to deliver something great you know if you're if you're setting up a show for five seasons you hope that they have a plan that's going to deliver on a great story because if it doesn't get a great story, it doesn't get a second season. So regardless of how much uh, money is behind it. So I'm really glad that this has tied it up at the end of the season for you. I hope with this eighth, ep- eighth episode having you on board that you feel a bit more invested in the first seven episodes as well. Maybe it's maybe it's uh, given you a thought of how they were setting up this final episode. Because again, without those seven episodes, it wouldn't have been as impactful to have this episode. Interestingly, an interview with both the showrunners this week uh, where they talked about the fact that season two may follow a more familiar path for people that do know the stories, um, but they felt that they needed the first season to kind of set up all the characters in the world and uh, this experience so that you can fall in love with some of the characters. Certainly the Harfoots, for example, are characters that I've absolutely fallen in love with and yeah. I want to see how they play out. The um, the Southlanders as characters themselves, I'm really intrigued to see where they go in the second season. Um, but if it had started out with them already in Gondor, you, I wouldn't have understood what they'd gone through to get there if we'd already had Mordor established uh, in the world. Yeah. Uh, I think all of that stuff has been really, really good this season. Yeah, excellent stuff. Thanks, well, thanks Dan, Dan for, yeah. for your thoughts. Uh, Will Madrick says, a great episode and series overall, but there are a few things that bother me. I really like the Harfoots, despite the names not matching up with Law mm. and The Stranger, but it was really obvious it was Gandalf who isn't supposed to be around until the Third Age. So that was a bit frustrating, although I think I can get over that. I also didn't really get the point of NMN. Who were they supposed to be? However, on the good side, I thought they played the Halbrand stuff really well, and Kellamrimbro's seduction was perfect, mm-hmm. felt really sincere, and you just have to say it's great acting. The emotions of the elves generally just felt really perfect. It's taken me a while to get into their storyline, but feels like the most powerful arc going into the second season. Mm-hmm. One final thing, which is pretty obvious, but has held the season together. Morford Clark is so good. She really was. Uh, she, yeah, absolutely mm-hmm. will. Um, could not agree with you more. I think yeah. she was superb, uh, in particular in this episode, but even, you know, uh, through the, the other, uh, episodes of this season. Yeah. And, um, and I think, Interestingly, with The Stranger, I think with that line, you know, always follow your nose, um, it certainly hints at Gandalf. But again, I wonder whether there is um, a little bit of red herring going on here. Maybe this is a normal wizard saying, and it's one of the skills they learn (laughs) or one of the powers is that they can really follow their nose like a hunting dog or something, you know? Um, And maybe that's just that kind of thing around this because i feel that even though we've had this reveal of the stranger now definitely being the uh one of the astari Mm -hmm. and that is about as definite as we can be with this because you know they don't have the cimmerillion uh rights Mm -hmm. so can't use any of the names there so it's I, you just wonder, um, I think as Derek mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, are they going to reopen negotiations to try and use that source as well? Um, so I'm still not sure whether it is obvious, but also I just wonder if it is red herring obvious mm-hmm. and this isn't really Gandalf because, um, you're right. It would be a big change, but if they don't have the rights to the names, 
obvious starry that are in this age, mm-hmm. they have to be creative. Or are there any? I don't think there know? are any actually starry in, in this age. So, or at least they weren't uh, on Middle Earth. But, um, but it is really interesting. Yeah, you know, the, the fact that they didn't say his name by the end of the episode yeah. still means to me I'm not a hundred percent sure. But they are heavily tipping the nose at uh, at it being Gandalf. Um, good stuff, and I'm glad you really enjoyed the, the season overall, Will, uh, as well. We got some feedback in from Brandy Elise Anderson, who says, Nice try there, Rings of Power, but there was no way I was going to believe the stranger was Sauron. Couldn't be, as I called it being Halbrand in episode three. But even if I hadn't already known it, I mean, come on, he was made the king of Mordor last episode. <laughs> very true, very That's true. That's true. Everybody just uh, instantly agreed that, uh, that Halbrand was uh, was the king of Mordor uh, very quickly, uh, king of the Sectlands at least. Um, Brandy continues, I know the wizard is Gandalf, but until they say so, I'm holding it all hope that it's a different wizard and that his relationship with Nori inspires Gandalf's relationship with Bilbo and Frodo. They made Galadriel's brother so creepy in this episode. I really expected to find out how Isildur survived this episode. I thought the finale would have the audience knowing, like we don't already, Isildur survived, even if his friend and family don't know. Yeah, that's a point we, uh, as well, Brandy. Yeah, we that we did mention that the the, the missing uh, Southlanders uh, throughout this, including Isildur, uh, did seem odd that we wouldn't have had some kind of reference to it. But I suppose leaving them on that sour note almost that they've lost a sealder. There's a great uh, moment with his friend on the ship. You can see that he's almost regretting his decision to go to Middle-earth on his own because he's lost his two best friends, the ones he grew up with, the ones that he joined up in this force with um, for the Numenorians. And you can see the regret on his face that he's returning and nobody else has come back with him. So I did like that, but it's not a surprise. We will see a Sildur back uh, in a future season. Yes, and I mm. totally agree with you around the Gandalf element here. Again, I do think it might be Red Herring and it might be... Somebody else, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, I, again, it, it's just... It seems with rights issues, they're possibly in a little bit of a corner unless Radagast can be um, involved. Yeah, yeah, I believe they can use Radagast if they want to. It could be, yeah, like, you know, the fact that he regrew the the orchard, um, you know, indicating that he's closer to nature than maybe Gandalf was. That could be Radagast, um, but... We just don't know right now, but I know there is absolutely the feeling where everybody's going, this is definitely Gandalf. But we did that earlier on in the season, and they've uh, they've messed with uh, with our expectations of the show. So just don't know where they're going, but excited to see where it's going to be next season. Yeah, thanks so much, Brandy. And finally, Jamie Lawson says, a great finale to the season. On the whole, the episodes got better as the season went on, with all the various threads finally pulled together at the end with various outcomes. I can't wait now till the second series. Mm-hmm. Great stuff, Jamie. Uh, yeah, I would totally agree with you. I mean, I thought the first episode was pretty epic. Um, and seeing all the sort of the great war between the Villainor and the forces of Morgoth. Um, but I, I agree. I think they told the story and gradually pulled it together tight like a shoelace and i thought that was really good yeah yeah yeah. so thanks jamie excellent stuff thanks jamie and thanks everybody else for your feedback on rings of power while we won't be doing another ring power podcast uh, for a while uh, if you do want to send in your thoughts you can always email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or continue the discussion over on our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tv podcast industries if you're just getting into the show and want to share your thoughts about any of the episodes we have spoiler posts over there for every episode of every show that we're covering and you can pop on over there and share them with us
Yes. Uh, so a big thanks to all uh, who have sent in their feedback mm-hmm. uh, again. Uh, remember, if you aren't already, please subscribe and share the podcast because sharing the podcast is, of course, sharing, sharing the, the love. love. Yes. You can also support us over on patreon.com forward slash TV podcast industries or over on buymeacoffee.com forward slash TVPI. Yes. We've been heavily into lots and lots of shows uh, on TV Podcast Industries over the last few weeks. Just finished our finale of She-Hulk, uh, the Marvel TV show over on uh, Disney+. Plus. Uh, finished our coverage of the wonderful Sandman quite recently as well. Uh, this is the last episode of The Rings of Power. And we're currently just kicking off our coverage of the DC show Pennyworth, uh, which is from the same creators as Gotham. So uh, something that we covered right back at the start of our, our uh, podcasting career, yes. really, on, uh, on Gotham TV Podcast before we even had TV podcast industry. So, uh, so it, excited to be back in that, uh, interesting world of, uh, of DC comic books, uh, over there. But lots and lots of stuff, uh, that we're covering at the moment. Next time we're doing fantasy, I think would be, uh, Wheel of Time. Um, no release date for Wheel of Time season two just yet, but I know at New York Comic Con they had their first, um, view of what season two may look like. Uh, yes. very different to Lord of the Rings, um, with the Wheel of Time, even though it is fantasy and is on Prime Video. Uh, John and Chris, our other, uh, host have both read a lot of Wheel, Wheel of Time, yes. know a lot about the characters. I'm the newbie on that one. Uh, but I do enjoy, uh, chatting about that because I do like a good fantasy series. So looking forward to coming back for the Wheel of Time. And of course, we will be back whenever the Rings of Power returns. We will be back here talking about on tv podcast industries absolutely and coming up in october we will be covering marvel's werewolf by night oh yes we will as well for uh the spooky season Mm -hmm. as well as into november there is the release of wakanda forever Mm. uh, the second black panther movie from the marvel cinematic universe we also have two roundups as well one for she hulk Mm -hmm. uh, and also one that we have kind of uh we forgot about in, in many respects, or we just couldn't find the time to we do it. Time. So we'll, yeah. we'll have to merge it in, uh, when we do the She-Hulk roundup as well, but we will be doing the roundup for, um, the Umbrella Academy pub quiz, yes. uh, as well. Yes. There. So we haven't forgotten about you, uh, fellow Brollies. Um, yeah. there will be the answers to the questions of the Umbrella Academy pub quiz. Yeah. And the winners, uh, pub quiz. Yeah, and the winners of, the, uh, of the goodies, uh, for the Umbrella Academy pub quiz and for the she-Hulk attorney at law bar exam as well. Yes. Yes. Both of those, uh, coming up. We didn't do a tavern, uh, quiz, uh, for Lord of the Rings, the Rings power though. Yes. We yeah. should have, uh, the prancing horse. We should have done prancing pony. Yes. Right. The prancing pony. Yes. yes. Yeah, maybe we'll do that for second season. Maybe. Yeah. Yes. Good stuff. Thanks so much for joining us throughout the season. Uh, there has been so many podcasts out there about Lord of the Rings. So really happy that you chose, that you chose uh, to join us on TV podcast industries for the Rings of power. We'll speak to you again next time. Yeah. Thank you so much, fellow ringers, for joining us. It is a pleasure having chit-chatted about Season 1 of The Rings of Power with you. Uh, Remember, in the meantime, keep watching, keep listening, and keep sailing west. Absolutely. Stay on that path. Bye. Bye. Bye.